Hello to all you Foxborough faithful, and welcome to your Takeaway Tuesday episode of Locked On Patriots, your daily home for news, notes, analysis, and the occasional opinion on your six-time Super Bowl champions, the New England Patriots. This episode is brought to you in part by Peloton. Peloton is offering a limited-time offer. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. My name is Mike DeBate and I am your host of Locked On Patriots, which as always is a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-F-P-C and of course be sure to follow Locked On Patriots on Twitter as well at L-O underscore Patriots. Today is a red-letter date here on Locked On Patriots. Now, that's not to be confused with the red-letter date in the history of science, which, as some of you may know, 64 years ago today, November 5th, 1955, Dr. Emmett L. Brown of Hill Valley, California, invented the flux capacitor, which is what makes time travel possible. Marty, great Scott. And yeah, folks, I apologize for the terrible Emmett L. Brown impression, but thank you for humoring me, as you always do. I love each and every one of my listeners, and I do appreciate it. But I'm sure most of you realize that was taken from one of my favorite movies. It actually was my father's favorite movie, and a movie that I always think of him whenever I watch, and that is the 1985 iconic classic 80s movie, Back to the Future. I can't imagine not having seen it. However, if you haven't, I definitely recommend doing so. Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover, Thomas F. Wilson as Biff Tannen, one of the best. Definitely watch it. Perfect day to do so today, but of course, only after you've listened to Locked On Patriots. And your New England Patriots would probably like to have that DeLorean time machine right about now so that they could go back in time and fix some of the problems that led to their 37-20 defeat at the hands of the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday night in Baltimore. Now, the Patriots enter their bye week at 8-1, which last I checked was a pretty good record. But that's not stopping some on the national stage from gleefully reading aloud the Patriots' obituary, which they're already writing for the 2019 season. People like that live for moments like this, folks. They can't wait to call the Patriots overrated. They can't wait to label them as frauds. And that is really ironic because, in my opinion, those that are calling the Patriots frauds right now are probably the most hypocritical phonies in sports media anywhere. But I won't go down that road right now. I just took that shot. I'll stand by it. But that doesn't absolve the Patriots from doing some soul-searching over this next week, and they will prepare for a return to action on November 17th in the city of Brotherly Love. On that date, they'll be taking on the Philadelphia Eagles at a 4.25 p.m. start time at Lincoln Financial Field. And in the meantime, the Patriots will be doing some self-evaluation. But they won't be the only ones analyzing their performance, nor are they the only ones that are going to have some questions about what this team can do moving forward to correct some of the issues that we saw on Sunday. Isn't it amazing, folks, that we're talking about problems on a team that is 8-1? and one? I know, it's mind-boggling, right? But it really does speak volumes to the level of success that the Patriots have enjoyed during the Kraft, Belichick, and Brady era. But rather than panic, some of you out there were kind enough to send in some very thought-provoking questions to the Locked On Patriots mailbag. And what better day to introduce a new topic here on the Locked On Patriots podcast, or at least I should say it's a new topic to me anyway, and that topic is going to be called Takeaway Tuesday. And essentially what will happen is you'll submit some questions to me, and I will do my best to answer them in a clear, concise, and most importantly, an intelligent manner. 
I know everyone. That is a tall task for me especially. But sit tight. I do have some great questions in the mailbag today. And I hope that you not only enjoy the show, but also take away some additional Patriots knowledge here on Takeaway Tuesday. And yes, folks, you should know me by now. Of course, the pun was intended. So without further ado, let's dive right into the Locked On Patriots mailbag today. And the first question was submitted by my man LJ, who can be reached on Twitter at show underscore one. And that is, I think, the burning question on every Patriots fan, media member, hater, whoever it may be. Everyone that has either a connection to the Patriots or has their eyes on them is wondering this question. And LJ asked, did the Ravens beat the Patriots or did the Patriots do more to beat themselves? And to me, this is the most poignant question to be asked regarding this game, if you are in any way connected to the Patriots, either by profession or by fandom. And the answer that Patriots fans most likely want to hear is that, well, the Patriots beat themselves. Really, it provides that type of comforting thought that lets you know that these problems are fixable and everything's going to be okay. I do think there's some credence to that, but I don't necessarily think that the Patriots beating themselves is entirely accurate. And to answer your question, LJ, I do think the Patriots made plenty of mistakes in this game, and they were contributing factors, but you have to credit the Baltimore Ravens, who ultimately did beat the Patriots in this game. Now, the Patriots' defense was being heralded as a stone wall coming into this game, and with due cause, the Patriots' defense was as stout as you could possibly imagine. But when you took a closer look, and I mean a very close look, you saw some cracks in the foundation, and this has been building over the course of the last couple of weeks. We saw it for the first time against the Buffalo Bills, where Frank Gore ran for over 100 yards against this team. Nick Chubb and the Cleveland Browns did it just a week prior and were able to run for in excess of 100 yards. The New England Patriots' defense had some difficulty stopping the run. And I credit Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman, who came in utilizing not only running back Mark Ingram, who was a very adept runner on the ground, but also quarterback Lamar Jackson, who is so dangerous in being able to beat you with his legs. The Ravens employed a lot of run-pass options, or RPOs as sometimes they're called, and basically what that means is that they give you a look of either the run or the pass, and they can cause some confusion at the line of scrimmage. Especially early on in this game, that's exactly what the Baltimore Ravens did, and it took the Patriots out of their comfort zone. Look, the Patriots are most effective when they're playing a 3-4 scheme, having their linebackers run more freely, and that frees them up to be able to set the edge and rush the passer. Patriots were very inconsistent in setting the edge on this game, and a big reason why was because they were having difficulty anticipating what the Ravens might do. Most of us anticipated that the Ravens would run the ball, and they did so effectively. Overall, they rushed the ball 41 times for a total of 210 yards. They also rushed for 11 first downs. When they weren't running the football, they were utilizing the short passes to their tight ends, and they were employing a lot of three tight end sets, primarily with Mark Andrews, who is their most prolific, but also Hurst was in the mix, Nick Boyle was in the mix there as well. Throughout the season so far, the Patriots had shown signs that they might be a little bit weak when it comes to a run defense and also defending against the tight end. Again, I credit Greg Roman and, of course, head coach John Harbaugh for devising schemes that confused the Patriots and kept them on their heels for much of the early part of the game. Where I do give the Patriots credit is they did figure things out, particularly in the second quarter. They returned to playing more man coverage, which is really what this Patriots defense does so well, especially in the secondary. When this Patriots secondary is taking away the primary weapons on offense for the opposition, it frees up the linebackers to be able to play in coverage and get after both the quarterback and the running back. And we saw that in the second quarter. Kyle Van Noy and Dante Hightower particularly played a lot more freely. That contributed to forcing the 
the fumble by Mark Ingram, and it allowed the Patriots to remain within striking distance of the Ravens for much of the second quarter and the very beginning of the third. After all, the Patriots were down 17-0 in this game. Easiest thing in the world would have been for them to fold up. To their credit, they didn't do that. They forced turnovers and, as a result, remained in the game for much of the second quarter and even toward the beginning of the third quarter. However, here's where a lot of people think the Patriots beat themselves. And again, I'm not completely dismissing that. The Patriots had a lot of costly mistakes and penalties that really contributed to them being in such a deficit at times. In this game, the Patriots committed seven penalties for a total of 48 yards, but they came at very inopportune times. One of them was on the very first drive of the game, and even though the Ravens were impressively moving the football, the Patriots' defense showed a little bend-don't-break, maybe even going a little back to the future. And yes, that pun was intended too, folks. But all kidding aside, they were about to hold the Baltimore Ravens to an opening drive field goal. But instead, the Ravens ended up getting a fresh set of downs, and that was because Shalique Calhoun was whistled for a neutral zone infraction. That allowed the Ravens to go for seven as opposed to three, and they got it when Lamar Jackson found an easy route and basically was able to strut his way into the end zone. And that wasn't the only untimely penalty. We saw left tackle Marshall Newhouse get whistled for a hold. That negated a would-be gain. Much later in the game, cornerback Jason McCourty was whistled for a hands-to-the-face penalty, and that allowed the Ravens to extend a drive that the Patriots defense was close to stopping. So there were mistakes that contributed to the Patriots' downfall in this game. Another one was turnovers, and probably the most costly turnover of the game, and it pains me to say this considering the fact that he really looked worn down by fatigue and pain, and that was the Julian Edelman fumble that led to the 70-yard touchdown reception by Ravens cornerback Marlon Humphrey. Put the Patriots in a steep points deficit, but credit them, they didn't follow in their sorrow. They came back and scored immediately, but the Patriots would turn the ball over again in another couple of drives, Tom Brady hurling the ball toward the end zone. Earl Thomas was there to cradle it. Definite frustration on Brady's part, having just experienced a dropped pass by Benjamin Watson. That led to even more points from the Baltimore Ravens, and the Patriots just never recovered. Now, you may hear all this and say, well, based on all that, how could you say that the Ravens beat the Patriots? It sounds like the Patriots just completely beat themselves. Well, because I don't believe that if any one of these went the other way, meaning if Edelman didn't fumble, or if Brady didn't throw the interception, or if they didn't have some of these penalties, one alone would not have meant the difference between winning or losing in this game. That's why I give the Ravens the edge here in terms of them beating the Patriots, as opposed to the Patriots beating themselves. So all in all, LJ, I say the Ravens were the better team on Sunday. That is the reason why they won. However, that doesn't imply that if these two teams meet in the playoffs in January that the result would be exactly the same. Far from it. I think the Patriots learned a lot from this, and I think they will carry that forward. If you look at the mistakes and the penalties that the Patriots committed as a whole, and you reverse most of those, then all of a sudden you're looking at possibly a different ball game. And then the Patriots might have even been in the driver's seat to take a victory here. I'm not saying they would have, but I think they would have been in a much better position to do so. So ultimately, credit the Ravens. They were the better team on this night doesn't necessarily mean that they will be the next time these two teams face. And LJ, thank you. That was a great question, and I hope I was able to provide at least a little insight for you and an adequate answer. And LJ's question is actually a nice lead into the second question I received on the Locked On Patriots mailbag, and this comes from a good friend of our show, Brian Snow. Brian can be found on Twitter at DaSnowmansBack. That's at D-A-S-N-O-W-M-A-N-S-B-A-C-K. And Brian asked the question that really is a logical follow-up to the question of who beat who. And that is, how will the Patriots respond after the loss against a potential playoff opponent? 
Well, Snowman definitely had his ears on, because that's a great question, Brian. And I opened the show today by making some jokes about Back to the Future and about time travel, but it's actually really applicable here. Because if history is any indicator, the New England Patriots will respond from a tough loss with a lot of grit, a lot of determination, and come out a better team than they were before the loss. And the last few years have shown this, especially the last couple of championship teams that the Patriots have put together. And this game reminded me of a demoralizing loss that the Patriots suffered in 2014. Now, I'm not comparing the X's and O logistics of the games themselves. However, the circumstances surrounding them are a little bit similar. This was a national stage. The Patriots were playing on the road against a very quick, explosive offense, and the reaction to it was very similar in terms of media members and fans alike saying, well, that's it. The New England Patriots just aren't that good. Of course, I'm talking about the Pats' 41-14 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in September of 2014. That was followed up by the famous we're on to Cincinnati press conference. So to answer your question, Brian, how do I feel the Patriots are going to respond to this in similar fashion? This is going to leave a bitter taste in their mouth for two weeks. Bill Belichick is not going to be happy. Tom Brady is not going to be happy. They're going to spend a lot of time examining what their weaknesses were in this game, and they will make the necessary adjustments to correct them. Belichick and his coaching staff, as well as Tom Brady, have been around too long. They've seen too much to let any one game get the best of them. There are several veteran leaders on this team with a great deal of pride at stake. They realize that how they come out in the second half of the season is going to define their season. Their will is too strong to be crushed, and their talent is too strong for them to take this lying down. They know they have work to do on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, so I'm very confident that even as we speak, that they're not just putting the necessary work in, they're going above above and beyond to ensure that they make the improvements they need to make to be successful in the second half of 2019. So ultimately, how do I believe they'll respond? Three words, on to Philadelphia. And part of moving on to the future is to leave the past behind, and the Patriots will do so as they look forward to their matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles. But I can talk about improvements all I want to. What are those improvements? Well, you asked some great questions, and I'm going to get to those in just a minute. However, before I proceed with that, I wanted to take a moment to address all you guys out there. And ladies, you'll appreciate this too. Now, this is a topic that is often taboo, but always commands your attention, and that is performance in the bedroom. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as the well-known name brands, so you know they work. Sports fans love using the word explosive, and Blue Chew is that and more. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code MLB, to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Once again, this is my debut of Takeaway Tuesday here on Locked On Patriots, and I've kind of been in a back-to-the-future mode all day today. I've been dropping these little quotes on and off. 
One of the quotes that I loved so much in this trilogy was from Back to the Future Part 3, and I know a lot of people love to look at that as the weakest of the trilogy. I still liked the movie. And Doc Brown signed the trilogy off by giving Marty McFly some great advice, saying, Your future has not been written yet. No one's has. Your future is what you make it, so make it a good one. And that leads me quite nicely into some of the great questions that I received in the Locked On Patriots mailbag regarding the Patriots' future and what they will do to make improvements to continue to build on what has already been an excellent season. Let's not forget that, folks. The Patriots are 8-1. and one. There's no reason to discount this team. They're still the top seed in the AFC, and when all is said and done, I believe they will continue to be as the season progresses into the playoffs. But one of the big questions surrounding this team has been the play of the offensive line. And the question that came in was from a friend of mine named Robert Alvarez, who can be reached at ralvarez617. I highly recommend following him. He's a great social media follow, as well as being a content writer as well for PatsFans.com. But Robert's question was a very good one. And he questioned, with Isaiah Wynn not expected to return until week 12, do you expect any more changes to the O-line until then? Or will Dante Scarnecchia continue to work with Newhouse at left tackle, meaning Marshall Newhouse. Now, Marshall Newhouse had far from his best game on Sunday. According to Jeff Howe of the Athletic Boston, he was credited with an allowed sack, two quarterback hits, a pressure, and a holding penalty. Yikes, that is not a good stat line, folks. And conventional wisdom would say that the New England Patriots would not put up with that, that they would look to make a change. But Isaiah Wynn is coming back in just a few short weeks. He's been hampered by injury, but the Patriots are very high on his ability. Dante Scarnecchia is a coach that preaches continuity. It's very, very important to him. Joe Tooney is a versatile lineman, but his biggest strength is playing left guard, which is usually where he's slotted in. On the opposite side, Shaq Mason and Marcus Cannon have not really had their best seasons, but there have been injury concerns on both of them. For each of them to utilize the bye week, get some rest, and get healthy. And also, Ted Karras being in the middle. Taking over for a guy like David Andrews is not an easy task, and Ted Karras, I think, has done an admirable job of doing so. So where would you look for extra help? Corey Cunningham continues to be a healthy scratch. There has to be a reason for that, folks. Meaning that Marshall Newhouse, Robert, is probably going to be your left tackle until Isaiah Wynn comes back. Look, no one's denying that Marshall Newhouse has struggled in this offense. He's been a liability at times. We saw that with the holding penalty that did cost the Patriots in Sunday's game. But that being said, he's still their best option at left tackle. And Wynn coming back in two weeks is the reason why I don't believe Skarnecchia will look to shake up the offensive line or disrupt the continuity right now. Wynn is going to be back. So at that point, you ride with what you got. Newhouse still provides you some protection. He's playing out of position. He's playing at a level that he's not used to playing at either. He's not traditionally a starting left tackle in this league. Once Wynn comes back, he becomes the starting left tackle, and Newhouse can go back to what he's traditionally been. Someone who adds depth to the offensive line, but not someone that's looking to anchor it. So, Robert, in my opinion, look for Newhouse to start against the Philadelphia Eagles and Isaiah Wynn to start against the Dallas Cowboys. And thanks again, my friend, for the great question. The next two questions for the Locked On Patriots mailbag came from a man that needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway, and that is our good friend Miguel Benzon, a.k.a. Pat's Cap, which is where you can find him on Twitter. Most of you are already following him anyway, but he can be found at Pat's Cap. Miguel asks a couple of great questions, the first of which, when will we see Nikhil Harry active? And this is probably an easy one, folks. Well, at least I think it's an easy one. We'll see if the Patriots believe that as well. But I think Nikhil Harry will be active against the Philadelphia Eagles on November 17th. 
I had thought that there was actually a good chance that they may activate him for the game against the Baltimore Ravens. However, when you take a look at it objectively, it makes sense for the Patriots to do what they did. Yes, they had him travel with the team. That's usually an indicator that a player is going to play. But with a rookie, it gives him the experience of going on the road. It also prevents him from having to perform for the first time under the bright lights of a nationally televised game where all eyes would have been on him. Harry is a rookie, and you want to make sure that you put him in a position to succeed and no one knows that better than Bill Belichick. That being said, the Patriots need his production. Harry is a strong physical receiver. He's young with a lot of speed. He has the ability to make contested catches, even acrobatically if he needs to. So he will add a dimension to the Patriots passing game that they have not seen yet. Tom Brady desperately needs someone to step up and be another reliable target. We saw him target Mohamed Sanu quite often on Sunday. That will certainly take some of the pressure off of Julian Edelman. Philip Dorsett and Jacoby Myers have been used sporadically. Now I know Dorsett has been hampered with a hamstring injury, but he has not been the reliable target that many had hoped he would be early on in the season. Myers has shown flashes at times, but he is still a rookie as well and hasn't been utilized all that much either. With the departure of Josh Gordon, with the departure of Antonio Brown, Tom Brady is searching for that next-level talent, and I do believe he'll find that in Nikhil Harry. Look for him to be active right out of the gate in the second half, and I actually look for a very productive second half from Nikhil Harry. So, Miguel, you asked that question, and then you followed it up with a great one. And, of course, it's related to your strong suit, and that is the Patriots' salary cap and who might be a candidate for an extension. Now, the highest-profile free agent that the Patriots have on their roster right now is a guy that's never been a free agent in his life. I'm talking about quarterback Tom Brady. At 42 years of age, Tom Brady is set to be a free agent for the first time in his career. It seems unfathomable that a franchise quarterback is going to be entering his walk year with Without an extension. But that's exactly how I believe this is all going to play out. I don't see the Patriots signing Tom to an extension just yet. It's my understanding that those talks will take place at the end of the season. So, therefore, you look at the list of Patriots free agents, and two names that jump out on the page are safety Devin McCourty and linebacker Kyle Van Noy. McCourty is probably the more sentimental selection of the two, given his time with the team and his status as a team captain. However, his age and hints in the offseason that McCourty may be looking at retirement, I think, do not make him a good candidate for someone that's going to be extended right now. If the Patriots look to extend a player, I believe it's going to be Van Noy. He's got a $4.2 million base salary this year. If they're looking to try to lock him up on a value-type deal, this would be the time to do it. Also, Jamie Collins only signed a one-year deal. He has played phenomenal phenomenal here. That could be an interesting negotiation, and they may look to try to lock him up before he hits free agency. Ultimately, though, Miguel, to answer your question, I don't believe the Patriots will extend anybody right now. I think they're focused on the season. I think that's how Bill Belichick usually plays this. They'll address these contracts once the season ends, and if it means some of these guys have to go out there and walk, so be it. I don't see any immediate need right now for them to do that. But if it is, those are my two guesses on who you might see extended before the season ends. And I thank you, my friend, for two great questions. You always bring the knowledge and are always right there. So very much appreciated. And I hope I was able to give you maybe a little insight that you didn't have. Although I doubt that. I don't think there's anyone with more insight than you have, my friend. Thanks for the support. And the last question today that I'll be addressing from the Locked On Patriots mailbag comes to us courtesy from the UK and Patriots Nation UK. And it's a podcast that I've had the opportunity to be a guest on, and I highly recommend listening to it. And that is from Matthew Inkster, who can be reached on Twitter at 
Matt, M-A-T-T-I-N-K-S-T-E-R, all one word. And Matt's question is probably the question that's on every Patriots fan's mind, and that is, what do you think the defense needs to do to stop a rushing offense of the opposition? And I started to address this a little bit when I answered LJ's question to open the show today. For all the strengths of this Patriots defense, and there are several, the weak link of it has been defending against these run-pass options, RPOs. That's what's given the Patriots the most difficulty, and we've seen running backs like Frank Gore, Nick Chubb, Mark Ingram Sunday night, even Le'Veon Bell a couple of weeks ago with the New York Jets, and then you add in a mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson, and it really becomes an issue. The biggest headache about defending an RPO or these run-pass options is when you have linebackers that may not be as athletic and fast as you need them to be to hang with some of the runners. I think that's what you're seeing here with the Patriots. Speed is not something you can manufacture, so ultimately, Bill Belichick and his defensive coaching staff are going to have to devise schemes that are going to allow the Patriots to be able to set the edge. Now, the defense that the Patriots play is mostly a nickel package. That's a defense that employs two big defensive tackles, and that's usually Danny Shelton and either Lawrence Guy or Adam Butler, four linebackers, and five defensive backs. This type of defense is very effective against the pass, particularly the pass rush. However, in the last couple of games, we've seen the Browns run for 159 yards and the Ravens run for 210. They've had great success running the ball over the last couple of weeks. So what the Patriots may need to do is devise some schemes that allow them to play maybe even a little bit more in the 4-3 as opposed to the 3-4 than they have been. You want to get guys up front that are helping out to stop the run. What you don't want to do is lose the athleticism that you have in the secondary. By analyzing Sunday's game film, I think Bill Belichick and the defensive coaching staff are going to find the right balance of when to switch between man and zone coverages. The Ravens exposed the biggest flaws in the Patriots' defense by demonstrating that the Pats had difficulty deciphering whether or not the Ravens were going to utilize the run or the short pass. The easiest way to do that is to get back to fundamental football, and that's ultimately what I believe the New England Patriots will do in their bye week. In particular, they're going to want to watch the first quarter, especially, of Sunday's game. That was really where the Patriots' defense were exposed and showed a lot of difficulty. But the good news, if you're a Patriots fan, is that these problems are fixable, and the Patriots definitely have the personal personnel on defense to be able to improve. So ultimately, Matt, my answer to your question, to continue to play to your strengths whenever possible. We saw the Patriots do that when they switched a little bit to man coverage. It seemed like that increased their success against the Baltimore offense a little bit. But ultimately, that success is going to depend on whether or not they can play through their weakness. The personnel they're currently employing is the same personnel they're going to continue to have this season. And it is impressive, so fear not, folks. The Patriots will figure this out, and they will be better against the RPO and the run. I don't guarantee much with this team, but I can guarantee this. Bill Belichick and his coaching staff are hard at work developing methods to be able to bring this team back to defensive prominence and make them the boogeymen once again. So, Matt, I hope that answers your question, and I appreciate that because it's a question that's been on everyone's mind, and I hope I was able to provide at least a little bit of the insight that you were looking for. So the first Takeaway Tuesday of the 2019 season is in the books, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. I do want to thank each and every one of you that took time to send in questions. Because of the time restraints, I didn't have time to include all of them, but please continue to send them in. I'm always happy to include them in future shows or even answer them offline if you'd like. 
My sincere thanks to LJ, Brian, Robert, Miguel, and Matt for their great questions. As for me, I will be back tomorrow to continue to bring you the latest Pat's news, notes, and analysis. And as always, please join me each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast. Subscribe and listen via your preferred podcast provider. Once again, I'm Mike DeBate of Locked On Patriots. Thank you all so much for listening today. Have a great day, everyone.